it in Psalms. Psalms chapter 42 and 11. Psalms 42 and 11, last verse of that psalm. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him, who is the health of my countenance and my God. Let's read that again together. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted or troubled within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. You ought to talk to yourself the same way the psalmist, amen, talk to himself, amen? You ought to instruct yourself in righteousness, You ought to instruct yourself in holiness. You ought to lead yourself back to the Scriptures and back to the truth when you find yourself wandering out of the way. Amen? Now let's turn to 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. I want you to notice one thing about this verse. Faith and victory are inseparable. Faith and victory are inseparable. Amen. Tonight, I'm going to teach out of the Scriptures. I'm going to teach you the principles, the biblical principles Behind the popular exhortation, get the victory. Amen? Now, it's been seven years, and I know some of you have wondered, perhaps thought about this, is this whole get the victory thing scriptural? Amen. I assure you that it is. And we're going to give you the Bible for it tonight. And if you have any questions about it, they should be all answered. Amen. Faith and victory inseparable. If you are in the faith, and you possess faith, then you must have the victory. If you do not have the victory, then that is a reflection upon your faith. Amen. Or the lack thereof. Unbelief. Amen. I believe you can always link unbelief to the loss of the victory. A fundamental lesson for Christian maturity is the resignation that we never have the right or reason to lose the victory. If you're going to mature in Jesus, you've got to come to that conclusion. You've got to realize that. And I can tell you this, it'd be a totally, completely different church world today if that, if that thought was known, if that biblical fact was realized among Christians. We as Christians should never, listen to me, never be downcast, never be discouraged or otherwise discontent. Amen. It doesn't matter how bad it gets, if I'm in Christ, I have been delivered from sin. Do you hear me? I've been washed in the blood. I've been filled with the Holy Ghost. I've been set aside for a divine purpose. I have no right to lose the victory. And if I do, that speaks about the priorities in my life. You know, if I have a million dollars, bank account with a million dollars in it, I have a bank account with 50 cents in it, a bit in the bank gets robbed, you know, with my 50-cent bank account and I lose 50 cents? It's not that big a deal. It's not that important to me. I have a million dollars in the bank over here. Do you understand me? This is of far greater value, this million-dollar bank account, far greater value than my 50-cent bank account. So when you lose the victory over natural things and you lose the victory over things outside the person of Jesus, you lose the things, you know, that may relate to your walk with God, but that God is touching you and dealing with you and conforming you to the image of Christ. It speaks that you've exalted something of no value at all in relation to Christ. You've exalted that above the person of Jesus. We should never be discontent. We should never be discouraged or downcast. 
Yes, we may grieve, we may weep, we may even be angry, but these range of emotions do not necessarily constitute the victory or the loss thereof. In fact, and listen to me, the spiritual victory may demand that we display all of these emotions. What then is the victory and how might it be defined? And I, I simply fashioned a definition which I believe is consistent Amen. With, with what the Bible teaches. It, it'd be something like maybe Brother Charlie would quote on, uh, you know, Sunday morning for the children to memorize. And I think this would be something for us to memorize. Choosing the victory. And that's the name of this message. Choosing the victory. Choosing the victory. Amen. Choosing the victory is to willfully maintain a cheerful, thankful, teachable, and submissive attitude in the face of adverse are difficult circumstances. Amen. I'm going to read that to you again. Choosing the victory is to willfully maintain a cheerful, thankful, teachable, and submissive attitude in the face of adverse or difficult circumstances. Amen. You know, that spiritual man is always aware of the truth that's expressed in Romans chapter 8 when it says that we know that all things Work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. If you have this truth revealed in your spirit, and you stand on this scripture verse and these promises, or this promise right here, then you're never going to be moved away from the victory, because you know that everything works for the glory of Christ. And that the end of all things is that I be conformed to Jesus. And since I'm a Christian, and that's my highest motivation, amen, that's, that's the foundation and the essence of who I am, that I am well pleased because I'm being sanctified. I'm being set apart for the purpose of God. All things work for the good. You know, some, and I, I've talked to many people that may question the importance of this concept, but I believe it's vital for you and I, this, this concept, to maintaining a consistent and biblical testimony. Nothing is more grievous and revolting than unhappy and disgruntled Christians. You hear me? Nothing is more disgusting. And I, listen to me, I have a thesaurus on my word processor, and I put repulsive and revolting, and, and I put grievous and disgusting, and I tried to look up as many words as I could so I could quote them all. And I thought if I could just spend an hour quoting adjectives, amen, to describe how, you know, grievous it is to see people unhappy and disgruntled who call themselves Christians, then I would do you a service as a pastor. But listen to me, it's not just enough for me to quote it, you need to recognize terrible thing to see people that call themselves born again long faces and a sour it brings a reproach upon Christ amen and listen to me it all, do you believe that? when I don't have the victory it brings a reproach upon Christ and when I refuse once I've lost it to regain the victory Amen. That I put my petty agenda above the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's something, listen to me. I know that's the truth. Brother Rich ever lost the victory? To my shame I have. Amen. But I know when I have. Amen. That pressure is upon me. That truth is making me free. That I don't have the right. Let me, I'm going to sit in this pity party for the next 24 hours. I'm not going to backslide. Listen to me. You sit down in that pity party, and I tell you, it's a bottomless pit. It looks like a two-inch puddle. Amen. But it goes all the way down, miles and miles, into hell. You hear me? And you know you sit in that thing. That's the first step into hell. That's the first step to backslide. But a lot of times Christians say this. Well, I'm not going to backslide. I'm going to get the victory. I'm going to nourish. And I'm just going to, you know, sing for a few hours and just kind of take my ease. And then I'll get the victory. You're dabbling with the devil. I say you're dabbling with the devil. And you're exalting your petty agenda above Christ. Remember the first principle of discipleship is to deny ourselves. Cannot be a disciple if not willing to deny myself. And this whole idea of getting the victory and denying myself is tied in together. Amen. Why is losing the victory? Why is that so reprehensible? Amen. And you know, this is rarely dealt with. I mean, this is a rarity to hear someone preach 
along this line. I'm so thankful that when I first got born again, amen, I went to a church after a year or so that hammered this into me. And I never heard much about it before I went there. But I was taught, you don't have the right to lose it. What's wrong with you? Amen. You know, every time I, you know, I had a little something wrong with me, I had somebody pulling me to the side. What's wrong with you? I can tell you've lost the victory. I want to say it's none of your business. Leave me alone and let me soak. And I thought, well, you know, that's pretty wicked for me to think that way. It was exposed. I was brought to a place where I realized this is for my good. But why is losing the victory so reprehensible? Because as Christians, we are to perfectly represent God. That's our call as ambassadors, to perfectly represent God. And we know that one of the attributes of God is His unchanging character. He never loses the victory. Amen. God never loses the victory. He's never moved by His circumstances. Do you hear me? He's always got the victory. He said, I am the Lord, I change not. Hence, when we pervert, amen, or we pervert and disgrace the character of God, when we as Christians lose the victory. Because we're not representing, amen, that invariable nature of God Almighty that changes not. It's that poor, blind, miserable sinner who sulks when he fails to get his way or is otherwise disappointed. Not that blood-washed, spirit-filled pilgrim who's a stranger in this world who has been delivered from the bondage and the power of selfishness and sin. Do you hear me? It's a, it's a sure sign. When someone has lost the victory, that's a sure sign that they're yielding to that old and carnal nature. When we, when we refuse to get the victory, when we refuse to walk after the path of faith, then we empower that old man. We resurrect it. And how many of you know, amen, you get outside of that place under Christ and the devil comes in like a flood. And all that old just rises up and you've got no power to live the Christian life. You've circled around something, a hurt, an offense, something, amen, that you're offended over, something that you're disappointed over. And until you lay that down, you'll have no victory. It empowers that old man. It's always a sure sign of the carnal nature active in that individual. Amen. The Christian is to maintain a countenance of joy and contentment. It's a joy, amen, to follow the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if I'm in the will of God, then I'm following Jesus. That sullen, depressed, amen, moaning and complaining spirit is never the Spirit of God. Never, no, there's no exception. That's never the Holy Ghost. Isn't that edifying when you get around somebody that's Looks like they, you know, about ready to fall off in the grave in the spirit. That's just so edifying and strengthening. All they do is complain about their circumstances and their situation. Amen. They've got nothing to give. They're just a black hole for ministry. Amen. You can give them the truth. They don't want the truth. Amen. There's just something they're discontent about. Such a person is not walking after the Spirit of God. Now, our countenance is not, and when we talk about a countenance, you say, what is that? A lot of people misunderstand what our countenance is. Our countenance is not our outward appearance, as some suppose, though it may include our body language. But our, our, our countenance is the spiritual air we project with the totality of our being. That's why you can't mask it with a religious outward appearance. In other words, a lot of times, and every one of us knows this because we've experienced we lose the victory and we put on our religious best to try to cover it up, but the spiritual man can see right through it. Then you have carnal folks saying, well, you, you saw me frowning, you thought I didn't have the victory. No. No, I saw you smiling on top of your spiritual frown, and I saw you didn't have the victory. Amen. You were trying to cover it the whole time. Anybody, nobody would come in here. Well, man, they know they'd be jumped on by five or six people. Amen. If I say you didn't have the, the victory... And I saw it in your countenance. I can tell you what. I saw it because you're trying to cut hidden under there. And you can recognize it and see it even though your outward appearance may be something totally different. Amen. Now the decision to gain the spiritual victory rooted in our 
We need to recognize that. As Christians, we know that love is not an emotion, nor is it dictated by feelings or circumstances. Is that right? That's a great mistake of worldly thinking, that love is what I feel. Love is romance. Love is lust. Something that I can sense or feel in my emotions. Well, likewise, maintaining the spiritual victory is a content, is a commitment to contentment and godliness. You hear me? Gaining the spiritual victory, maintaining the spiritual victory, choosing the spiritual victory when we've lost it is nothing more than a commitment to contentment and godliness. In other words, as long as I'm in Christ, as long as I'm in the will of God, I, I can survey my life. I know I'm in the will of God. Amen. I may be in all kind of situations and circumstances that are testing me and trying me. They may be difficult. Hey, then, whatever it may be, but if I'm in the will of God, then I am content. And you show me a content person, and I'll show you a person with joy. I'll show you a person with joy. You know, my little children, when they're hungry, sometimes during the day they'll ask for a snack. Can I have a snack? Can I have some eat? You give them a cracker, and they'll go over in the corner and they'll start They'll start humming. Joy. Unspeakable. Why? Wow, they're content. They got what they want. And if we have what we want, we'll be content. There'll be joy. And if all we want and all we need is Christ, then we'll be content with that. Amen. When we're discontent, amen, we need to search our heart. Amen. It says in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 16, rejoice evermore. Amen. That's a command. That's not an option. Rejoice evermore. This literally means at all times and in every situation, we as Christians should be cheerful. That's what it means in the Greek. In every situation, at all times, no matter how bad or what you face, amen, you should rejoice. Amen, God is not asking us to do the impossible in grace. That's a command, so we know that we have the ability to choose. That's what I'm trying to point out here, that it's rooted in our will. I can choose the victory. Amen, yet if we just look at it in the, in the, with the human reason or from a human standpoint, it seems unreasonable. How can we do this? How can we rejoice evermore? Simple. You just look at Philippians 4 and 4, and that gives you the answer. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, Rejoice. Amen. In the Lord. That's how we do it. Amen. We're, we are rooted and planted in the person of Christ. We see things from the spiritual vantage point. We have spiritual eyes. Amen. We have spiritual eyes to see, and that's how we order our lives. The choices are to make and is expressed throughout the Bible. We see in the law of God, it tells us to choose between life and death. Deuteronomy 30 and 19, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before your life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life, that both thou and thy seed may live. You can just boil it all right down to this. It's life and death. It's life. The victory is life. The victory is life. Defeat is death. Many times you hear the psalmist. He speaks of choosing God's way. Psalms 119 and 30. I have chosen the way of truth. Thy judgments have I laid before me. Again in the same chapter he said, Let thine hand help me, for I have chosen thy precepts. You choose his precepts, and you're going to receive his hand of help. You're going to receive his hand of help. The wise man in Proverbs reveals the tragedy of wrong choices. In chapter 1, he says, For they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. You know, let's see these scriptures in this light. Day-to-day choices we have to make. Amen. Well, we have the opportunity to remain discontent or disgruntled, or we can choose the victory, and that's choosing the fear of the Lord. They hated knowledge. They would not choose the fear of the Lord. Again, in chapter 3, the Wise man said, Envy thou not the oppressor, and choose none of his ways. Choose none of his ways. That means I can choose God's ways, or I can choose the devil's way. Always there's two paths laid before me, the narrow and the broad. And on and on and on we could go through the Bible. The prophet Isaiah, when he spake of the holy remnant of Israel, even he described them as those who chose the things that please me and that take hold of my covenant Amen. The kingdom of God suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. You and I must choose the victory. We see Jesus. He rebuked Martha, but he commended Mary. For what? Their choices. 
Amen. But one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. Amen. He's exhorting them along their daily, everyday choices. So let none of us suppose this, that our spiritual victory is a product of circumstance, whim, or chance. In other words, you may say, well, no wonder I don't have the victory. If you knew what I was going through, don't think that. You're deceived. Amen. Don't listen to me. The Spirit of God wants to teach you tonight. Don't throw that excuse up ever again. Do you hear me? Because you don't have that excuse because it's not legitimate. If you only knew what I was going through, then you would know why I'm acting the way I'm acting or why I've lost the victory. No, no, no. You've chosen that. You've chosen that. And you must see it. Amen. It is we alone who choose or reject the victory. Amen. So tonight, I'm going to give you some spiritual principles, things that we do face as Christians. Four categories. I just went through the Bible, very simplistic. Probably not too much tonight that you haven't heard in some form or another, but perhaps not in this context. But four categories that represent any and every form of adversity or difficulty that we could face as Christians. And we're going to see that we must choose the victory in each of these circumstances. Amen. There are no exceptions. The first situation in which we must choose the victory is when we are being tested or tempted. When we are being tested or tempted, First Peter 1 and 6, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. It says in what? Greatly rejoice. What does that mean, Brother Brent? It means in the Greek to jump for joy and to be exceeding glad. You hear me? That's what it means. When you're tested, when, when you're going through a season, when there's heaviness, uh, an oppressive spirit because of the manifold, the varied, the different, the, the, all manner of temptations and testing, you ought to be exceedingly glad and jump for joy. Says amen. First Peter now. 4, 12 through 13, Beloved, they get not strange concerning the fiery trial. So the first scripture I quoted dealt with temptation. And this scripture will deal with trial or testing, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. What is that word rejoice? There mean it means to be cheerful or calmly happy happy. It says don't think it's strange, don't be discouraged, don't recoil, but rejoice. Amen. Be exceedingly glad. Be cheerful. Be calmly happy. So see we see testing and temptation, and those are closely related. That's why I grouped them together. But when we face these two things, our faith is being strengthened, and that's what the Bible teaches. That there is an end, a greater end. The true child of God understands that greater end. James 1, 2 through 4. My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. You remember Job? What was happening to Job? He's being tested. He's being tried. But let patience have a perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Amen. That Christian man, he recognizes that his future usefulness is great, a greater priority than his present comfort. And we need to recognize that. If we're spiritual, we know that's true. We may not understand our present condition, why certain things are taking place. But, you know, we pray all the time, Lord, fashion us into a vessel of honor. Lord, I want to be someone you can use. Purge me from everything unlike Jesus. Use me. And then, amen, when God begins to expose something in us, we prefer the darkness. We want to run back and scurry into the place we were at. We don't want to be accountable. God brings us to a place where He reveals some flaw in our character, and we run from it. Or even worse, we don't recognize it. We're so carnal, we don't even understand the rod of chastisement. We don't even understand the dealings of God. See, the spiritual man recognizes it's a greater end. James 1 and 12. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. You know what that word blessed means? 
happy. Happy. Rejoice. Be happy. Be happy. Blessed is the man that endured temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Amen. The Christian is what? Blessed. He's a happy man when he's tested or tempted, because he knows that a proper response, listen to me, a proper response, will ultimately conform him to the person of Christ. And again, amen, we're all Christians here. That's what we want. Hey, say amen if that's what you want. I want to be conformed to Jesus. No, the, no cross is too great. I want to be conformed to Jesus. Is that what you want? If that's what you want, you're going to be pleased with that. That's what will bring joy to your soul. First Peter 1 and 7. That the trial of your faith be much more precious than of gold that perisheth. Though it be trial of fire, might be found in the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. I bet if I brought you a pot of gold, you'd be happy. Huh? I bet if I brought you just a big pot of gold, you'd be, I couldn't get to, I couldn't wipe the smile off your face. It says the trial of your face is more precious than that. You ought to be happy. You ought to rejoice. Amen. It brings the highest pleasure to the Christian, to be conformed to the image of Christ, even if he has to be brought through the fire. Rather than concentrating on the test or the temptation, that Christian man will focus on the person of Christ so as to overcome. Why? Because he realizes. And this is what we need to recognize. You're in a temptation. You're in a test. It's not the temptation. It's not the test that you need to concentrate on. It's your response in the test and the temptation. That's the important thing. How are you going to respond? Am I going to keep the victory or am I going to lose the victory? Because I'm only going to be blessed and happy. I'm only go- it's only going to be useful in my life if I respond properly. If not, take another lap. Amen. If not, go right back out in the same place in the wilderness and let's test you. Amen. Let's see indeed whether you're fit to take the land. Let me build your faith so you can cross the Jordan. You see, the children of Israel, they were stiff-necked. They wouldn't allow God to strengthen them and to build them. They weren't fit to cross the Jordan. And when they got there, amen, it was revealed. Why? They rejected all the teaching of God. They rejected all the words of Moses. Amen. They weren't prepared to cross Jordan. If you're going to be ready to cross Jordan, you're going to have to submit to the way. I said, you're going to have to submit to the way. Amen. Many are stared by the enemy during seasons of temptation as they bemoan their situation instead of drawing near to Christ. All that time you spend moaning and complaining and losing the victory, you could be praying about the situation. You could be drawing near to Jesus and He'd give you strength. You know, if we're preoccupied with the test instead of enamored with Jesus, then we're destined to fall. Every time. No matter where we're at and what situation we're in, if our eyes get fixed on our circumstance, and set on the crucified Lord, then we are going to fall. In times of temptation and testing, we've got to choose the victory. And the victory can always be found in that way of escape. Amen. That narrow way of escape is Christ. And if you take that way of escape, which is Christ, then you're going to have the victory. But there's victory nowhere else. Do you hear me? And we have to choose it. Amen. That's the first thing. Temptation and testing. Amen. Which can be very grievous. Do you hear me? It can be very uncomfortable to be tested, to be tempted, to be put into the furnace. It can be, it can be very difficult. But we have to maintain the victory. I've seen a lot of people when they're tested, when they're tried, when they fall into temptation, that they lose the victory. Number two, when we practice self-denial. Oh, this is a good one here. Jesus said in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, Moreover, when you fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance. For they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou fast, verily I say unto you, or pardon me, when thou fast, anoint thine head and wash thy face, that thou appear not unto men to fast. But unto thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Now, how can you apply this, Brother Britt, to our situation? Well, we practice self-denial in a lot of different ways. For the kingdom's sake, amen? 
And when we do so, we need to do it with joy. We need to do it with joy. And that principle applies in every facet of the Christian life. Fasting is obedience to the Bible. Is that right? Well, so is going to church. So is praying. So is praying all night. So is witnessing. Amen. Serving others, whatever it may be. And when you don't do it with joy, you're a hypocrite. When you get a sad countenance and disfigure your face, amen, and you, you don't lose the victory because, you know, I'm tired. I've stayed up all night. I had a rough day, and now I've got to come to church. You know what God says to you? He says, get the victory! That's what Jesus said. He's a little bit nicer than I am. He said, anoint your head and wash your face. I had a, I had a rough day, and I didn't, I had to just... Things didn't go right. All night prayer. I mean, that's a little much, isn't it? Get the victory. I don't know if I can go on the street. It's just, you know, every two weeks, a couple hours to find time for that. My heart's really not in it. You know what Jesus says? Get the victory. Anoint your head. Wash your face in the Spirit. Amen. I mean, get things right. Get your heart right. Get your spirit right. Get the victory. I mean, you know, we're a busy people. I realize that. Everything seems to be haphazard. But listen to me. You've got certain things that are required of you. You're going to have to deny yourself, amen, to walk in this kingdom. And when you do it, do it with joy. And you can choose to do that. It's a horrible thing to see people not, you know, come in here sometimes and see people looking like, you know, they've been eating bars all day and baptized. In lemon juice. That's a terrible thing. You know, Proverbs 15 and 13 says, A merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance. That's just thought, my merry heart gives me a cheerful countenance. Your merry heart gives me a cheerful countenance. And my merry heart gives you a cheerful countenance. Amen. And likewise, and back forth, we all minister. You know, it was just a few weeks ago. You can ask my wife. This is not, and you know, maybe everybody did have, you know, had lost a victory, but I came in here one Sunday morning. And I stopped in the middle and looked around, and I looked at my wife. She didn't know what I was looking at. Every single person in this place had their heads in the hands. Just like this. Every single person. Is that, I'm not, is it true? I said, what is going on in here? Looks like we're at a funeral. Get your head up. Hey Amen. Wash your face. I understand. Sometimes everybody could have been, no, you couldn't hear nobody praying, so I didn't think anybody was interceding or nothing. I didn't hear any groaning or moaning in the Spirit, so I didn't assume it was some Spirit-induced grief that led you to wail for souls or anything like that. It looked more like stress. It looked more like I'm, I'm, you know, I'm tired, I'm, I'm weary, that kind of thing. Listen to me, you have a will. Set your will with God. Pick up your head, wash your face, anoint your head, and get the victory in Jesus. You can do it. Amen. You can do it. When we practice self-denial, we need to get the victory. Amen. When we face tribulation, Luke 21, 28. And when these things, Jesus said, what things, Brother Brett, I'm going to, Touch on them in just a moment. When these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your head for your redemption. Draweth nigh. Now you read through Luke chapter 21 and you see Jesus. He's detailing the conditions just before he returns. And he addresses circumstances as diverse and tragic as deception, war, rebellion, hunger, disease, sickness, pestilence, persecution, betrayal, fear, distress, and perplexity. So this exhortation that we just read, when you see, oh, that covers a lot of stuff, don't it? That covers a lot of terrible stuff, terrible circumstances that you could be involved with. So what does Jesus say? When you see this all around you, when you're involved in it, when you're threatened with it, He says, you need to look up, lift your head up, your redemption draws nigh. You know what he's saying? Help me. That's exactly right. He's saying get the victory. Get the victory. Amen. Amen. Well, by the end of this message, you'll all know what I'm talking about. I'll ask you that question. You'll all shout it back to me. Amen. An almost endless list here of adverse conditions. Amen. And you know, I'm all, if we're not of this world, why so often does worldly circumstances circumstances drag us down in the Spirit. I thought we were delivered from this world. Amen. I believe the key to that is in our thought life. 
Because the enemy, the devil, amen, our enemy loves to torment us. And he's going to attack your thought life. To do this, you know what he'll often do? He'll cite your circumstances and he'll introduce in your thought process situations of potential trouble. In other words, he'll have you meditating all day long on fantasy as if it was reality. Now you think about that. Because he tempts you that way all the time. When I, you know, first got beat in Macomb by that young man, he said, every time I see him, I'm going to beat you. And he was demon-possessed. And I went every two weeks. And you know, it wasn't the beating that was so bad, it was all the thoughts, the two weeks in between. It wasn't the five, ten-minute beating I took. It was meditating on what the devil told me he was going to do to me. He's got a tire iron this week. Amen. He's going to pull out a gun. What's he, what's he going to do when he starts beating you in the head with a tire iron? You know, I'd cast down that, that kind of mentality. Amen. We're always, you know, meditating. The devil have us meditating on what could happen or what somebody might have said or what these people might be thinking. And he ends up having us shape our lives after fantasy. We end up meditating on those things that are not even, you know, linked to the real world. Sometimes, indeed, things may really happen. But I can tell you what, when we're faced with tribulation or trouble or adversity, we need to keep our mind focused on the person of Christ. The prophet Isaiah said, Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusted in thee. Amen. We're always trying to scheme to get ourselves out of a situation that haven't, hadn't even taken place yet. I mean, think about it. We expend energy trying to get out of situations that haven't even taken place yet. And we're going to pull something out of that old gutter of that worldly carnal mind and try to offer it up before the throne of God and ask Him to bless it? He's not going to bless what we come up with. I can tell you that right now. He's only going to bless. Amen, Christ. Christ is already blessed. You don't need to get that blessed. You don't need to get Christ approved. He's already approved. He's the answer for whatever your situation is. And why don't you pursue Him? Why don't you press into Him? Why don't you become captivated with Him? Why don't you think about Him? And you'll be delivered because He's always blessed of God. We try to come up with some kind of scheme and then, Lord, you think this is your will? Oh. We wasted three days coming up with that. If we just concentrate on Jesus, He'd show us the way. Amen. No matter what our situation, we must not allow our minds to drift from the truth of Scripture. And we know in Philippians 4 and 8, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, of a good report, there be any virtue, there be any praise, think on these things. You know what that is? It's just Jesus. That's just the person of Jesus. Just think on Him. Amen. Be captivated with Him. Amen. And you'll keep the victory in times of tribulation. In times of tribulation. Times of trouble. That includes a lot of different scenarios and situations. The fourth thing here tonight, and this is a doozy. This is where most people lose the victory right here. This is where most people, amen, they really, they just can't maintain the victory. When we are chastened. When we are chastened, when we receive a spanking, that's very, very difficult for a lot of people. Hebrews 12, 11 through 14. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous. Doesn't seem joyous. It doesn't feel joyous. Rejoice. Are you kidding? This is grievous. This crosses me. This runs against my temperament and my, you know, natural propensity. You know, I'm not a fool. I can figure out things for myself. See all these kind of mentalities? Grievous. Amen. To be corrected. Nevertheless, afterward it yielded the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. How many of you want to be exercised by chastisement? I said, how many want to be exercised by chastisement? Amen. I, you know, when you exercise, you say, I lift weights. Well, but in my mind, I figure, you know, you do that five days a week. Is that right? We need to be exercised 
Not chastisement, amen. It's a way of life. Reproves are what? It's the way of life. It's, it's, the, it's the order. It's the, it's the way that God has laid before us. Wherefore, this is, this is the biblical admonition in what seems to be grievous. It doesn't seem to be joyous. It feels grievous. What does the Spirit of God say to you? Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. That all speaks of a countenance. Downtrodden, downcast, tempted to be discouraged. Woe is me. Amen. God says, get the victory. Lift up. Amen. The hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet. Lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. That's in context with this verse. You hear me? You're going to have to receive chastisement. If you want to be holy. And I can tell you what. If you do receive chastisement. Most of the time. How, how am I going to be chastised of the Lord? Most of the time. Through other people. And you're going to have to live at peace. With other men. You're going to have to live at peace. Amen. With your authority. Amen. We're exhorted to receive chastisement. From the Lord and avoid what? Two attitudes of heart. We've touched on this many times. What are the two? Wrong attitudes are hard. Despise not, nor faint. Amen? So when we're chastised, that's going to be a real temptation for us to be, I can't do this. It's too hard. I, I'm, not, I, I'm not fit for this. I'm not cut out for this. Well, I'm just, I'm a, pit, I'm a pitiful Christian. I'm a terrible pastor. I'm a terrible pastor. I'm an awful pastor. I, you know, I'm just a total failure. Who could love me? Who would want to come to my church? I'm a terrible, awful, horrible pastor. That's the wrong attitude of heart. I've had my heart ripped off before by God. That ain't the right spirit for me to act like that. Or just to hate it. No, I'm not going to receive it. Just to bristle at correction. No, no, no. We're not to despise, nor to faint under correction. And that only leaves one option. Get the victory. Amen. Only one option. Get the total, complete freedom, liberty. Get the victory. Be transparent, open. Nothing between you and God. Nothing between you and men. Amen. You're totally, completely free. There's not one obstacle, not one hindrance between you and another fellow human being or God Himself. You're absolutely free. You've got the victory. Amen. That's your only option. If you don't have the victory, I guarantee you, you've fallen into one of those two bad negative scenarios. You've either despised it or you've retreated into isolation and become discouraged. I can't do this. One of those two things. Or either you've got the victory. I guarantee you every time. It's always that way. I can tell you this, how we've been raised as purebred, brazen, strong rebels. That's what we've been raised as. Our culture has groomed us to resist all correction, to be defensive, to be arrogant, to be proud. Amen. And I can tell you, pride and offense and defensiveness under correction is the root of much lost victory in the house of God. In this church, it's often been the case. You know the book of Proverbs says, only by pride cometh contention. Being exposed, amen? It's not easy. We don't like that. Amen? We don't, we don't, we don't want to be exposed. We don't want to be touched. We don't want to be confronted. Because when we are, amen, then we are, we are put into the light and we're put in contrast with the person of Christ and we're revealed what what we are. Amen. And we don't like that. You know, that's happened here. I mean, I know in every level of the local church, every level of the family, it's happened here in this local assembly. I've seen where people have allowed the devil to lie about the preaching. I've seen people recall because they believe it becomes too personal. I'm a personal preacher. The moment I cease to be a personal preacher, then I become backslidden. I will always be a personal preacher. That's not always easy to sit under, but I've sat under it. Amen. And we can all, and I, it was the greatest benefit 
for me to sit in the church house on a Sunday and think, this man is preaching directly to me. Amen. Thank God that you can get a do But see, I can tell you where it's not going to benefit you. And this is true for children. This is true for wives under their husbands. And this is true for sheep under that, that shepherd, that natural shepherd. Amen. Or that under-shepherd. The moment you begin to question the motive of that authority's heart, you will never receive ministry from that authority. You let a wife begin to think her husband. She's just saying that. That's just his opinion. He's got an ulterior motive for saying that. You come out from under the covering of your husband. And you're going to get preached to and taught and discipled by the devil every time. Same with children. Same with, same with people in the church. You begin to not trust that this is the word of the Lord. If you begin to think that this is something other. Now listen to me. I'm not telling you to set your brain to the side. If I tell you the devil's going to be saved or anything unscriptural, you're not to receive that. Hello? I'm not talking about that, but I'm not telling you anything that's not the Bible. I'm talking about I'm touching you. I'm dealing with you. The Spirit of oh, pardon me, this is the best of you. The Spirit of God through me is touching you, and you begin to think, where did he, where is he coming with that? For, uh, he, he's got a personal vendetta. He's grinding and that, whatever it may be. Some ulterior motive, amen, that's provoking me to preach this. And that's why you are coming from out, out from under your covering, and you're going to receive the voice of the devil every time that happens. You're not to set your brain to the side. Amen. You're to judge this word by the Bible. If it's not the Bible, then you run from it. You are not obligated to receive it. And I'm not saying that. I'm saying, though, the times that it bring, it costs you to hear the preaching of the word. It's one thing to say amen when somebody else is getting disrobed. Amen. And dismantled. Do you hear me? But when it's you and I, we're getting directly dealt with by the Word of God. That's when we find out if we're truly submitted and we'll hear God's Word. Amen. We should avoid reacting to correction as Cain, who was of that wicked one. And we see this recorded in Genesis chapter 4. Amen. It says, But unto Cain and his offering, God had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? And why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shall thou not be accepted? If you get the victory, everything's going to be all right, Cain. And if thou doest not well, then sin lies at the door. Amen? You're going to fall. You're going to be ate alive by sin if you don't get the victory. You better get the victory and you better choose it now. If you don't, amen, then the devil's got something greater for you to receive. What's Cain doing? Countenance fell. Amen, and God was not impressed. Amen, God's word was, get victory. And if you don't get the victory, there's trouble ahead. And indeed, he prophesied over him. And that's always true. You know, in God's love, he's going to seek to correct us when we're wrong. Amen, that includes wrong actions. It includes a wrong spirit or wrong notions or opinions. Whenever we have wrong actions or wrong spirit or wrong ideas about God, then God is going to seek to deal with us and correct it. Now, first of all, He's going to try to deal with us directly, whether it be in prayer, whether it be, you know, through Bible study or reading the Word of God. Maybe it's through circumstances and you react a certain way, and the Spirit of God says, see, there's something amiss. See the way you react. He's going to try to deal with you on that level. But if you don't respond to that, He's going to talk to you through men, and usually it's going to be your authority. And it's going to be impossible for you to gain the victory if you continue to maintain whatever it is, your position, whether it be action, spirit, or opinion, if you maintain that you are right. And not wrong. Now, I want you to hear that. And I got to say, this is a point my wife made. It's a good point. She told me not long ago, she said, you know, in just so many words, she mentioned this. She said, I've always found when, you know, I'm reproved or corrected by you or, or the children, if I reprove and correct the children, even the reason for them not getting the victory is because deep down inside, they think they're right. Or deep down inside, I think I'm right. You see, and I, I maintain that position, and it's impossible to gain the victory, amen, because what? We're in opposition to God, 
Somebody understand what I'm saying? It's a very important point. Because when you're corrected, you're going to have to receive the correction. Receiving the correction doesn't mean you go, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. yes, yes. I know, I know, I know. I'm not going to do it anymore. No, no, that ain't what it means. It means it touches your spirit. And you say, woe is me. I agree with that truth. I was wrong. I'm being bullheaded about this. I'm not right. You know, you'll recall the rich young ruler who was rebuked by who? By Jesus. He said, you need to sell all that you have and to follow me. And this is a true example of this attitude of heart. He exposed the lack. It was something wrong in that man. And Jesus rebuked him. And it says in, in Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, of the rich young ruler, and he was sad at that saying. What happened? He lost the victory. He didn't have the right countenance. He was sad at that saying. Why? He got corrected. He got chastised. And he went away grieved for he had great possessions. He wouldn't give up. He wouldn't surrender. He wouldn't bow the knee, amen, to the rebuke of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you better believe there's no way he's going to have the victory. Amen. For him to have the victory in this situation, he'd have had eternal life. But you can break this down as a principle in every single facet of our Christian experience. Rejecting the chastisement of the Lord will indeed produce a sorrow, amen, but not a godly sorrow. And I looked at this case for godly sorrow, we're going to repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but to solve the world. Amen. Work at death. You can rebuke sinners and they'll get sorry, but it won't be right. They will grieve that they're being corrected. Then, with the reproof itself and the opportunity, or, or the, the you know the, the the stunning of their spiritual growth, that's what kind of people hate correction. Oh, it's such such a carnal, wicked, vile, blasphemous thing. I mean, it's so disgusting if you could see it for what it was. You would avoid it at all costs. Amen. Because what it is, it's such short-sightedness that it rejects that chastisement. It's a sorrow laced with repulsive self-pity that is more grieving correction than the opportunity for spiritual growth that it provides. Instead of saying, man, I've started my spiritual growth. Thank God that this has been exposed in my life. It gets offended. How dare you? How dare you hurt my feelings and tell me, present me in this light. I reject it. There's something wrong with a heart that doesn't receive correction. Always without exception. Such a spirit always produces a disgruntled, downtrodden spirit because we set ourselves against God and there is no victory outside and opposed to Christ. We cut ourselves off from the grace of God because God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. And you know, it's an easily recognizable condition, but I constantly marvel how men will often deny that they've lost the victory when it's obvious apparently to everyone but themselves. You know, in James chapter 3, how many times have I approached people and said, Brother, what's going on with you? Nothing. Brother, it just seems like, you know, you don't, you know, where's the victory? I've got the victory. Brother, I just, I've been praying for you and I just, it seems, you don't need to pray for me, pray for yourself. You know, the kid, you know, just touchy, defensive, something's wrong, whenever there's defensiveness anyway. You know what it says in James chapter 3? But if you have bitter envying and strife in your heart, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. When there's strife, when there's bitterness and envy, when there's contention, you know, if I rebuke my wife and she cannot receive correction and she's holding to a position she thinks 
she's right, she doesn't agree. But there's that strife, there's, there's that contention, there's no liberty, there's no freedom in fellowship between her and I, or it's only partial, and the work's not complete, there's still something hidden, there's still an obstruction, there's still, you know, a hindrance there. Then what is that? That's strife. And if that's present, then we don't need to lie against the truth. That wisdom that you're holding to, whether it be my wife or my child or a church member, that's not God, that's devilish and sensual and earthly. And you think I use strong adjectives. I couldn't have said it any better than that. That's what it is. That paints a terrible, awful picture. Amen. We need to receive chastisement and not lose the victory. A righteous man recognizes the spiritual value in reproof. That's why he can choose the victory, because he wants to submit to the truth. So if someone can show him where he's not submitted to the truth, amen, then his highest aim is to be conformed to truth. If I'm ignorant of some truth, show it to me. It'll be a joy for you to reveal to me a portion of Christ that's been obscured from my spiritual vision. If you reveal to me this is Jesus, I love Jesus. Is that right? Oh, I love Jesus. Well, let me show you a little portion of Jesus that's been hidden from you. I hate that. I thought you loved Jesus. I thought, would you offended with Jesus? I'm revealing to you something that's hidden from your view, and you ought to rejoice in it because you say you love Christ. Is that what chastisement is? I'm talking about biblical proper chastisement. It's the revelation of Christ. That's what it is. And we ought to receive it. Job 13 and 15. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. But I will maintain mine own ways before him. Psalms 141 and 5. Let the righteous smite me. It shall be a kindness. And I, and let him reprove me. It shall be excellent oil. It's always something when people, you know, all you do is rebuke. All we ever hear is reproof. You know, I've learned as a pastor, that's a pitiful, it's a terrible, awful deception of the mind is what it is. Because a person hates reproof, that's all they hear. But a person who loves reproof, it's just part of the scriptures. It's part of the way. Amen. It's just part of Christ. But the person that can't stand it, that's what you hear him say. All it ever is is rebuke. All it ever is reproof. I mean, it's never any, never anything encouraging. If you can't be encouraged by rebuke, and you can't be encouraged by correction, amen, then you cannot be encouraged. If I were to stop you, amen, blindfolded and deaf, walking into a pit full of rattlesnakes, and pull that blindfold off your eyes, and tell you and reveal to you the danger that was two or three steps in your path that you would have been destroyed. You'd have been utterly brought to destruction if you wouldn't turn around. And my reproof and my correction have been brought you out of the path of destruction. And you tell me you can't be encouraged by that. Something's wrong with you. You see the whole idea of reproof and correction? If we have a biblical view, then we can have the victory. We can have the victory in all things. We can choose the victory. And this is an important thing. It's in the Bible. Amen. It's not just a saying out of the book of Brit. It's in the Word of God. Amen. Faith and victory always link together inseparable. Amen. Doesn't matter what we face. Doesn't matter the situation. Amen. And all our self-denial as Christians. Amen. And whatever chastisement we may face. Amen. In all our trouble, our tribulation, tempting, amen, testing and trials, we can always choose the victory. And if we walk in that kind of victory and that kind of light, then we're going to be a testimony. Have you ever thought that God would put you in situations, trying, awful, sometimes difficult situations, so that you could reveal Christ to the world? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about, amen, that people are watching you? 
And if they know that you're in a trying situation, and you act just like that sinner down on the street, downtrodden, depressed, and discouraged, and discontent, amen, then you've lost your testimony for Jesus. You've lost the greatest opportunity there is to reveal and manifest Christ. We talk about manifesting Jesus. Manifest Jesus. Maintain. Choose. Keep the victory. Amen. Stand to your feet. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this truth. I pray, Lord, it be etched upon every heart. Lord, that we would no longer make excuses for ourselves. This would be a truth that's revealed in our inward man. That we would be resigned to it. That we always have to maintain the victory. That we're commanded to rejoice evermore. That we never have justification for receiving the lies of the devil. Father, we pray that you help us. Help us, Lord, to walk in victory. Prompt us, deal with us, any callousness of heart, any hardness of heart, Father, that makes provision for this world. We pray, Lord, that you crucify. Lord, we look to you as author and finisher of our faith. Teach us to walk in victory, to rejoice in our salvation, to have spiritual lives, not to be moved by our circumstances, our situations, our emotions, our feelings, but to walk by faith, not by sight. And we ask it in Jesus. Amen. Let's sing a song together.